raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. You just had to go there, didn't you, Kevin? I mean, hearing that back, not one of my finer moments. I also find it hard to believe that Mark Dykton can somehow find that, but he can't hit the swoosh button. Yeah, that is... I hit the swoosh button multiple times in that first morning check down. You want it again, I'll give it to you. There you go. Seems to know where the swoosh and the plop... Hey, Mark, hang around. I'm sure you want to join this circus. Um, but first, let's go to the Payless Sickers hotline. Greg Rakestraw joins us to talk about a number of different things. Greg, we're going to begin right with what happens at 16th and Georgetown. Kevin and I were just talking about it. I think you'll probably agree. Front runners for poll, Dixon, Polo, Erickson. I mean, basically anybody out of that Ganassi stable, take your pick. But give me the somebody, if there's going to be a poll sitter that is not a Chip Ganassi driver, it's who? Auto Award. Uh, I would put the Aero McLaren cars right behind that. You know, the Penske cars, I think, will be a factor come race. They have not been as big of a factor the last couple of years, seemingly from a speed standpoint. And again, I think you'll get one of the Andretti cars kind of up there in the mix. Maybe it's Colton Herta. Maybe you get one of the Ed Carpenter racing cars, you know, that, that is up there. But right now, you know, you kind of put the Ganassi cars as the three favorites and the driver slash team, I think, that would come next would be the lead driver of the Aaron McLaren Bunch and Pato Award. And I'll tell you what, Greg, and I know that his talent level would be the reason alone for having him, but clearly Aaron McLaren is benefiting already from the guy that we're going to talk to in about 40 minutes and Alexander Rossi because, man, they are putting him to work. It reminds me of Dario Franchitti when he was with Andretti Autosport and on the practice days, they'd send Franchitti out and just go, okay, go do 180 laps and let us know how the track's changed and try different setups and everything else. Invaluable to have a guy that you can do that with. Well, amazingly, you know, he's kind of like the old guy now. And let's face it, you know, drivers can, can do this for 20, 25 years. Dixon, Tony Cannon, Elio Castro, Neves are proving. Um, but if you are entering your eighth Indianapolis 500 and eighth full season in the series, uh, to me, that's hit old guy status. And obviously, we could figure out that Alexander was pretty wise at a young age, let alone with seven more years of track time added to that. So that's not surprising in the least. Greg, Rake Shaw is with us. Rake, you're going to be wall to wall coverage, right, tomorrow on Sunday? That is correct. I, I think I get 10 hours of radio airtime over the weekend on the fan. One of those is dedicated to Soccer Saturday. I'm actually leading into me. So I'm the host of Soccer Saturday at 9, but I'm the host of IndyCar coverage at 10 a.m. Rake, I said this to Jake, and I've said it the past couple of days, and I'll probably throw this question at pretty much every race-related guest that we have on over the next week or so. Uh, if I gave you one pile that has just the Ganassi cars for a week from Sunday and the other pile has the other 29 cars in the field, which one are you taking? I would still take the other 30 cars or the other 29 cars in the field. Man, it would be close. Uh, just because, you know, again, there are some of the Ganassi drivers that you simply put in the mix in terms of they have a chance to win every time out. And seemingly, I would put Polo and maybe even Erickson above Dixon at this point. And that yeah. that is a statement. This is kind of the first time where I tend to wonder, hey, this is now 21, 22 years in for Scott. Are, are we starting to see him come down a little bit? But it may simply be simply how, how that team is doing things differently, 
how solid Erickson is, how outstanding Pelot can be on a race-in, race-out basis. And then, obviously, you got Takuma Sato at the Indy 500, man. It, it happens. He, t- he tends to run up front. So I think I would take the 29 over the 4, but it's not an easy decision, Kevin. You know what, Greg? I'm going to put this in football terms for those that are not diehard racing fans, and then I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree. When you start to see, inevitably, father time creep in on athletes, sometimes it's a sharp fall off, sometimes, you know, and it happens right before your very eyes, and sometimes it's fairly gradual. In Scott Dixon's case, it's been almost non-existent until now, but yet he is so smart and savvy that I think he knows if there are limitations where they are, and so he doesn't allow them to define him. What I'm getting at is, to put it in football terms, the the age or the twilight of Scott Dixon, to me, looks a little bit like, if this is what we're entering into, Philip Rivers as a Colt. And by that I mean, there might not be as much zip, but there is still an incredible savviness and tactical strategy and understanding that allows them to still perform at a level that is not in any way shape or form an embarrassment or detriment at all to their legacy whereas other players it they, it falls off so fast and they're still chasing it and you're like okay man and, and in Dixon's case I think he still has it there and he has the resources around him it's just a matter of it not being maybe hour to hour like it used to be make sense what I would say is this, is I would actually get, bump it up a, a, a level further. Um, I, I think I would compare him to Tom Brady was that kind of quarterback at 43 and 44, right? And, and that's the age range we're talking about for Scott Dixon at this point. The other person I would compare him to would be Rafael Nadal. You know, Rafa announced this week he's not playing the French Open and that basically his body is telling him it's time. He's going to try to come back and play as many tournaments, as many slams in 2024 as possible. But that's it. And Rafa is one of the greatest tennis players of all time, clearly, if not the greatest. Well, when it comes to IndyCar, Scott Dixon is one of the greatest of all time. Remember, you know, he, we're not talking about like Mario and AJ have more wins in an IndyCar race than does Scott Dixon. Obviously, Scott has not been able to find a greater deal of success at the Indy 500, winning just one. <laughs> Excuse me, getting a frog in my throat this morning. That's not good. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Take some water, Rake. Take a break. You're good on that. I, I have a question, by the way, for you and Rake after this. Well, um, you, I'll start the answer until Rake okay. collects his... Perfect. His uh, so Alexander Rossi, Jake, is yep. going to join us here at 845. And I was thinking to myself last night, Rossi is the last American winner of the 500 in 2016. We have had two American winners since Sam Hornish in 06. Ryan hunter being the other. Okay. I think this way about American men's tennis, ironically, Ray just brought up Rafael Nadal. Is that an issue for the future of the sport? From an American standpoint, I certainly think you could say that, although now you have some rising young, you know, Kyle Kirkwood's obviously Like, do American. we need a Herda? Do we need um, a new garden for the future to win. of the sport? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't hurt wouldn't hurt in terms of the popularity of the 500 itself i don't know on road and streets that it means as much but for the legacy of the 500 it probably wouldn't hurt yeah it's kind of crazy though two since 06 that's I mean, got, that was, isn't that one of the long, i mean it's gotta be one of the longer stretches ever that that was always the kind of the irony of the 
I have always said, the irony of the open wheel racing split is the fact that the Indy Racing League was brought about to bring more and give more opportunity to the short track oval American drivers. And yet, if you look at the people who won the race as soon as the split happened, I mean, yeah, you had Cheever, and then that's followed up by, you know, Lion Dyke, or, or I'm sorry, the year before, you know, Lion Dyke, and then Breck, and then Montoya, and then Castro Nevis, and you know what I mean? Yeah, it almost it, went in the opposite direction. Trust me, I think it's a really cool element that you look at the last what six, seven years. It's Sweden, it's Brazil, it's Japan, it's France. I it's personally Australia. love it because it puts Indianapolis on the map and it shows sure. that it's the best, you know, the most diverse in the world. But I, I understand your point, uh, Greg. Your thoughts? Thanks for tap dancing for me. Um, and what's crazy on that front. As I remember, like the conversation, like 06, 07, we said, hey, look at this new wave of American drivers that is coming in. That was the debut period for like Graham Rahal, Marco Andretti. Obviously, Danica Patrick came in the year before in 05. And now we're getting to the end of that cycle of drivers. Now, Jake's point is well made. You know, Kyle Kirkwood being a young American driver, and obviously Alexander Rossi isn't Malukas. going anywhere anytime soon, but. It's it's you know crazy to think how how times fly by for all of us. You know, imagine sitting here and saying to either of you two in 1998, after Eddie Cheever wins the 500, over the next 24 years there will only be four American winners. <laughs> you know, it, I, to me right. that is that is kind of wild, but totally. Uh, Obviously, it's a really cool aspect of Jake's point how international it is, and certainly, you know, when you have three hundred plus thousand in the, did you just crack a PBR? I did. Yep. Go big or go home, Kev. That type Fast of Friday, Friday apparently, and, and obviously, let's say this: it's going to be a matter of if and not when Joseph Newgarden becomes just an American sure. winner of this race. That is that is going to happen at some point, and again, it could be as soon as you know nine days from now. Most starts for Roger Penske without winning an Indy 500. And you can bet he's chomping at the bit to end that streak. Greg, you ever had Little Kings? No, oh, jeez. Uh, you know, I actually heard you reference them yesterday on the show. Reference? You mean rant? <laughs> well, that, you know, I was I was thinking about this because as a regular, you know, listener and contributor on the program, I'm like, if, if I happened to be on the show when Jake brought this up as like your college drink of choice, at the beginning of it, like of the Zima era, I apologize for that. Um, and then it was, and then it was kind of like you know, I was in like the the ice house, like darker Killian, stronger beer, you know, type of of, uh, of of college age. So, do you remember the red beer phase? Education, you know, just just kind of, I just missed the little king. So, so, so did you go through? So you were so I've always said beer fascinates me, Greg, because there's different eras. You had the ice era, which was like Ice House and Bud Ice. Correct. And that that immediately followed the dry era, Bud Dry, Michelob Dry, etc. Then everything was red, Red Dog, Red House, Killian's Red. Everything was red. Even the, the beer wasn't even red, but the name was. I would I would have a, a pay the month or a pay the rent kegger the last Friday of every month. And there were a couple of times we lucked into Killian's Irish Red Kegs, um, which you know, we, you know, the, the month the, the rent was easily paid uh, that month because you could you know charge a little extra premium for that. How about um, that. 
By the way, Jake did not crack open a PBR, just to clarify. Some people might be worried about him on the broadcast later today. How Rock about Star Red, Energy, right? That's right. Fruit Punch. Yeah, How about uh, Red Stripe? Did you ever do the Red Stripe? Hooray! Absolutely, I did. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll never forget. Red Stripe, uh, you know, we had a Jamaican party once, and of course everybody got Red Stripe, and we're halfway through it, and Pat Graham stands up and goes, um, I've got bad news for everybody. Turns down the music. <laughs> Says here, this is made in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. <laughs> We're all like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought it's made in Kingston, Jamaica. What is going on here? Yeah, it's a total buzzkill. Uh, Rake, speaking of, I guess, Pat Graham, or speaking of, I guess, Indiana high school basketball, um, obviously a big news earlier this week, and I believe it was a National Federation rule in eliminating the one-on-one for boys high, high school basketball coming up. Uh, I've got little issue to it. Uh, to me, you know, it kind of stays away from foul fest, and, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of five fouls and you reset each quarter. Your thoughts on no more one-on-one? I don't think it's that big of a deal um, because we were already at the point where the most one-and-ones you're going to shoot in a given half was going to be three. Um, when, when you are fouling trying to catch up, um, maybe it, it forces your hand defensively to try to be a little more aggressive in terms of trap and not foul, knowing you're giving the other team two shots. I think the biggest bonus of that rule is more, I see it at the women's collegiate level, where because of resetting, you, 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 the, the pace of the game tends to move a little quicker. I don't think that's an issue in high school basketball. Like I rarely, when doing a high school basketball game, say, man, this game is taking forever for this game to get done. I just, I just, just rarely feel that. Most of the games that we do, hour 20, hour 25, hour 30, they tend to move at the high school level. So uh, I'm, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I also just don't think it's a big deal, as a lot of people were making it out to be earlier this week. Are the reasons we don't have a shot clock in the high school game pretty much around finances and staffing? That You nailed it. Um, Again, I would say I frankly don't think we need it. The only time that we tend to hit that need for a shot clock, somebody will complain about it, is if somebody's going to hold the ball for like the last minute of a quarter for a final possession – when you can't do that past the 30-second mark uh, in, in a collegiate game. Uh, it's not like you've got teams these days that are running mandatory four passes, Norman Dale style, we're going to hold the ball for a minute of possession or hold the ball like at the start of the second quarter. That maybe happens once a year. It just, it just doesn't happen. So, yes, you're now asking high schools across the state – hey, you have to install shot clocks in your building, and hey, you have to have somebody that can run the shot clock and add, add somebody to the scores table, and you're paying somebody more to do that. And so, again, I just don't think it's that necessary, but the biggest reason is financially. A lot of the bigger schools already have those, those shot clocks and have systems that have it installed. A lot of the smaller schools do not, and now everybody's you know trying to find finances these days, and you're asking schools to spend more money to me, that's the biggest reason why it's not going to happen. Greg, do you remember from what school Norman Dale arrived at Hickory? Ithaca, Ithaca College. <laughs> that wow, is correct. Good work, right? Bit of, bit of, he ran into a bit of a disciplinary issue, right? Right. Yeah, he had some off-the-floor stuff, if I remember correctly. I don't know why we're asking anybody to come to coach our team. It's been in the water for the last 10 years. <laughs> I just know. Well, I, I can't remember. He, he, they, I came across Ithaca on a map the other day. I was looking at Oak Hill where the PGA Championship was. I'm like, oh, there's Ithaca. And they refused to go zone or man-to-man. Which one was it? I can't remember. 
No, they're going to play a little bit of zone defense. They don't want to play man to man, and usually they would practice, you know, twenty on ten off, you know, twenty on ten off, twenty on something like that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's I, right. I, I know. To, to, to paraphrase Shooter Flash, I know we're thinking about the greatest basketball movie that's ever been made. But I mean, as as the voice of the Hoosier Jim Classic, I kind of have to have these 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 facts off the top of my head. Believe me. Ten hours of coverage from Greg Rakestraw and Company, Mike Thompson, John Herrick as well. Obviously, you'll hear Jake and his comrades with IndyCar Radio Network. Awesome weekend over the track for Qualls and then setting the first four and bumping one car on Sunday. Rake quarterback at well the next few days. I hope I can avoid that frog in my throat that apparently crept in about 10 minutes ago. Sorry about that, fellas. Hey, oh, I, that, happened, that happened to me last week during the middle of the, the Grand Prix, like some sort of allergy in my throat, and I'm like, whoa. It just shows oh, that you're... And that's the funny thing is, is that much like you, I am I, I am the like the least allergic person to like anything ever. Uh, but even I've like been fighting like a head cold the last yeah, couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's... It's going around. You know, showed that Rake was human for a second. I, I was like, the, he's indestructible. It's not, in fact, Max Hedrum. <laughs> I, I, you want to know an unpopular Indiana opinion, Kevin? Sure. Are we done with Rake? Yes. Rake, have a great weekend. <laughs> See you guys. See this. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is what I'm talking about. Somebody just sent me a picture of a Little Kings sitting on their table. He said he got it from Ohio, though. No. Yes, that's the guy I just talked to. Pat did clear, clarify. He purchased at Dinner Bell, he says. He goes, a bit of a sketchy establishment. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, is that the name of the establishment or a liquor store? Uh, well, I guess both. Um, near Garfield Park. Uh, Lance joins us on the program before Alexander Rossi is set to join us. Hi, Lance. Good morning. Jake, it's Lance from Land Sharks back in the day, man. Lance, what is <laughs> Lance, going on, man? Hey, I pulled it up. It says they uh, got the little little King Scream Ale down at uh, Total Beer and Wine and Spirits. I, I'm telling one. you, man. Now, Lance, you've had. I mean, Lance, you're like a. You're one of these guys. Here you are. You were bouncing and brought up. You're this big, like, burly-looking dude that's actually the nicest guy on the planet that was up for always having fun. I'm guessing you have had a little Kings before, right? Oh, I've had more than a few. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So, total wine, Lance. Hey, uh, hey, man, do you remember the Genesee beer wagon car back in the day? Yes. Um, they yeah. ran in, it, it ran in like 82, 83. I got to look up to see who was running it. I'm going to look up the 83 500. I'm sure it was there. Um, yeah, right here. Steve Chassis drove it in 83. Finished. That's what uh, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Genesee Beer Wagon. Hell yeah. 80, they ran a couple of years, but in 83, certainly Steve Chassis drove. So, Lance, sure. you got Little Kings in your fridge right now? 
No, man. Nah, I, I've had that for a while, but yeah, a little cre- little King's cream ale. Back in the day. <laughs> so is it like a Sun King cream ale? Like, would you compare it to that? No, I, I mean, would because not. Mark earlier said it uh, tasted no, like no, mayo. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> Lance is very emphatic that no, it has nothing to do. Lance, good talking to you, man. Always a pleasure. All right, boss. All right, have a good one. That man, is my I man, Lance. To, I used to have some nights at Land Sharks. Land Sharks still open? Yeah. Rock Lobster, Land Sharks, the whole deal, right? Unbelievable. Uh, joining us now on the Payload Sickers Hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so this morning, a guy that yesterday gets the Workhorse Award. I think nobody turned in more laps yesterday than Alexander Rossi with his new team with Aero McLaren. And uh, let's get to the, the brass tacks first for the 2016 Indianapolis 500 winner. Uh, Alexander Rossi, you have or have not in your life either heard of and or tried a Little King's beer? Yeah, no. Yes, see? On both accounts, you have not heard of and have not consumed? Co- correct. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. It sounds like a band. I, <laughs> I thought it sounded like a Christmas song, Alexander, so you and I are in the same boat. Well, okay. thanks for joining us, Alexander. We wish you the best of luck in this year's race. Yeah, no, see you, man. No problem. <laughs> hey, um, let's begin with this. I... It's it's interesting, and I thought it was yesterday. I was watching you, and you know, every time I'm looking down, you were out on track. You turned a ton of laps, and I kind of thought about. And I'd mentioned earlier, you know, Dario Franchitti was always kind of the workhorse guy for Andretti that would try multiple setups. For you personally, when you're turning that number that high a number of laps, do we read into that at all, or is that just looking over absolutely everything, or were you chasing something a little bit? Um, I, I think the opposite of, of both. I think we were just happy, um, and just wanted to go out and pound laps. Like we didn't have to go back to the garage to really make any big adjustments. Um, you know, there's, there's evaluations of these new aero components that IndyCar has brought, um, to try and help make the show better come, come race day. Um, so I, there's a lot of analysis to still be done on that. So like, and they're pretty decent uh, changes. So all four cars were kind of in a slightly different configuration um, from an aero standpoint, which we will then spend the next kind of three days understanding um, so that when we come back for Monday, we're all on what we believe is, is the optimum package for obviously, you know, ultimate straight line performance, but also still being able to, to run next to the cars. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, the balance was good. The balance has been good all week, so we really haven't had to, to do much tuning to it. Alexander, I want to stick with yesterday here for just a second. I'm sitting there watching you, and all of a sudden, all the Ganassi cars go out, and then you go out with them, and then for several laps, you're, like, running with them, you know, in traffic, passing, et cetera, et cetera. And, I, you know, as a very novice fan, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Like, is that something planned? You're not a teammate of theirs, but clearly you're interacting with them out on the track. Could you kind of give us a little peek behind the curtain and how that went about and what you were trying to accomplish there? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the days of, like, secret team group runs that, you know, Andretti used to change the time every day have kind of gone out the window. Um, and everyone kind of wants to run with everyone. So we were, um, you know, our pit boxes are directly behind them. Um, none of my teammates at the time were ready to do a group run. We saw that Ganassi was. Um, you know, they're obviously, at the moment, um, for the past couple of years, they've been the benchmark. Uh, so it was good for us to, to, A, just, you know, we would have taken really any cars to run with, but, you know, if you can go with 
the defending race winners and such and see, you know, where you're better or weaker, um, you're going to take that opportunity. Aaron McLaren's got, obviously, and Alexander Rossi's our guest on the Palo Sigurds Hotline. Uh, Alex, you've got Felix Rosenquist, Tony Kanaan, Pata Award, so you've got, you know, multiple cars within the team. For qualifying itself, at any point do you guys individually say, okay, this is how I want my car set up and this is what feels good for me. My driving style is, let's say, different than Felix's or Tony's or, you know, or Pato's or whatever it may be. How individualized is it specifically to your car? Or do you, in fact, as a team in qualifying, try like four different setups to see exactly what works in the condition of the day and then bring it all back in together collectively, if that makes sense, what I'm asking? Yeah, no, it's a fair question. I think today you're going to see a little bit of that. But ultimately, so qualifying is all about, you know, obviously it's a four-lap average. Um, and you want to try and, and be, well, you have to be flat for the four laps, but you want to be just barely flat, like by the end of the run. If it's if the four laps are easy, then you carry too much downforce and you probably gave up some, some performance. If you have to start lifting on lap four, then for obvious reasons, you're slow. Um, so, but what that means is as, as you take downforce off, right, and you go quicker, the weak area of the car gets worse. So, for example, if you've got a, a, a front end that has understeer or, or doesn't want to turn or isn't very sharp, and a driver struggles with that, the more downforce that you take off to try and, you know, keep up with what you need to do to, you know, contend for pull, the worse and worse that understeer is going to get. So everyone is going to, you know, you start you – start the day today with everyone's going to be happy. You turn the boost up, you run a decent chunk of downforce and it's easy. And then you take your first trim step. And that's when deviations start to happen um, across cars because certain guys are more sensitive to the balance changes that come with trimming. And then you'll get to a point where some guys get stuck. Like they can only trim to level X or sorry, level B. And then your teammate who's happier with the balance can trim to level F, right? So it's it's really not only are you taking downforce off to try and go faster, but you have to keep adjusting the car because as you're taking away that grip, you know, it's it's getting harder and harder to, to just be happy with the car. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, has it been an adjustment? It does make sense. Um, and you're with the new team this year. And, and certainly, you know, I've seen on social media and other such things, not to say this wasn't the case with the guys that you had at Andretti, but you seem to really be relaxed you guys all all of you Pato award felix rosenquist you know Kanan working with you guys this month but it just seems to be a group that that is gelling and you have fun and maybe now that's translating onto the track but in terms of andretti where you had success you won the indy 500 as a rookie was it just time for a change was it the opportunity at at, at arrow mclaren what led to the change for alexander rossi uh, all of the above, you know, I think that there was, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of great things that, that we accomplished, um, at Andretti. I have lifelong friends there. I still am, am very close with some of my mechanics, my old engineer there. The Andretti family is, is very close to me from Michael to Marco to Marissa. Um, everyone there, you know, we, it, it all ended on good terms. 
Um, but the, and the reason for that, I think, is because, you know, the last three years didn't meet anyone's expectations. You know, when we when we did the, the renewal uh, in the middle of 2019 for three years, you know, we were coming off the back of, of two championship years. You know, we were in the fight for the championship until the last race. Um, 2020 came, obviously, the whole world got thrown for a loop. And I think Andretti was a little bit... Uh, caught out with the addition of the aero screen for a period of time. And then in 2021, you know, we, we really were aggressive and tried to regain everything that we fell behind in 2020. And that led to a lot of mistakes um, on my side, uh, on the team side. And it was just a, a terrible year, actually. And then 22, you know, we kind of reverted back to, to having a, a semi-decent year. Um, but really, when, when the conversation came up with Michael um, and AutoNation and, and everyone to, to look at going forward, it, it, it was just like, yeah, that's a, that's a great opportunity, obviously. But for whatever reason, this isn't working. Um, and that was really the crux of the, of the decision. Um, you know, Errol McLaren, um, you know, was going to add a third car. They had the availability. They were, they were very interested in, in having me join the team. Um, so it all kind of just, the, the stars aligned. And, you know, when you look at the, the trajectory that Errol McLaren has been on for the past couple of years, you know, it's been, it's been exponential. You know, every single year that are getting stronger and stronger and the runway that they have ahead of them in terms of, you know, McLaren racing, um, now having full involvement and control over the IndyCar team, what that means in terms of the, the resources that are available, the people, um, the the kind of experience, the knowledge base, the the diversity across all the different platforms of, of motorsports that we have access to. It means that there's so much performance that's still yet to come. Um, so all of that was very very exciting, and um, you know I, I'm very fortunate to, to have this opportunity, and I just uh, love being able to represent McLaren and and Papaya. He's Alexander Rossi, um, obviously the winner of the 100th and five times been in the top seven. Certainly you've proven, uh, arguably I think more than anybody else in the field, your ability to slice and dice your way through the field is quite possible. Um, given that, though, as you look to quals this weekend, how far back is too far back? Or do you even know that just yet? Uh, it's not. I mean, you'll, you'll figure it out. It's, it's a long race. I mean, you... <clears throat> It's not, quite quite frankly. Um, you know, I started 32nd. I started 25th. Both those days ended in top fives. Um, I guess, I is there a comfort level, like, yeah. after the first four rows, something like that? No, I don't. I mean, it's cool. It's cool to be in the fast nine shootout, or fast six now, fast 12. I don't know. It's cool to be in one of those shootouts. Um, but... Ultimately, you know, this race is, is so long. There's so many variables. There's, there, it, it's the one race you go into, believe it or not, even though it's the biggest race in the world, it's the most important race for all teams and drivers. Like, there is no strategy. Like, it's impossible to, like, you go to the strategy meeting, you're like, well, this is how long we can go on fuel at, at full rich. This is how long we think we could stretch it if we leaned out the motor. And then it's like, we'll see what happens. So I, you, you, you can... You can really win from anywhere. That's not a cliche. I, I truly believe that. Well, especially considering you you won the race by going 105 laps on one fuel load, right? I mean, very impressive. I mean, you you know you're going 55 miles an hour and you win the race, right? 
a little well, exaggeration. Yeah, I mean, you could just get out and walk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you? Last question for me, Alex. Do you ever? Alexander Rossi's our guest. Uh, you know, one of the things that that from a broadcast standpoint, I will readily admit, it is not our job to have rooting interests. But you still get excited as a broadcaster when you see something that that makes your eyes pop. And there have been restarts from you that are Oof. scintillating. I, I mean, you go on the outside and you pass eight or nine cars and you think like, holy cow, you can't put a, a credit card between your right side rubber and the wall itself. Do you ever look at replays of those and actually think to yourself, I don't even necessarily recall doing that, but that's unbelievable? Or do you go, yeah, okay, I did that. That's cool. Um. No, I no, I no. I don't really watch races back. I probably should. Watching the the new CW Hundred Days to Indy show, I realized that Joseph Newgarden watches races back with a notepad and takes notes of what everyone's doing. So maybe that's where I've been going wrong. Um, but no, man. Like I, I just love driving race cars. I love the opportunity to to race an Indy Five Hundred. You know, every single time that we take the green flag for that, like I just have. Uh, so much excitement and and joy in taking part of it and so when the opportunity presents itself to uh try and and get the best result possible whether that's on a restart or um through some sequence or whatever like it's just it's you're just having fun out there um and that's, that's really all that it boils down to for me the entertainment value is always through the roof when your eyes are on Alexander Rossi at the 500. That car certainly popping as well out there at practice yesterday. That is a great-looking car that you're in. Coming up here a week from Sunday. Good luck today, Fast Friday. Same thing for this weekend. And, of course, a week from Sunday, Alexander. Thank you for the time this morning. No worries. Thanks, guys. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Have a good one. All right, Jake, coming up tomorrow night. It will be the second leg of the Triple Crown, and that is the Preakness. P- Pimlico, is that right? Am I saying that right? I think that's right. Uh, to get more on that, you heard him with us the Friday of the Derby. It is Caleb Keller, from, courtesy of um, FanDuel in the horse racing business. He was outstanding. We're like, we got to have him on again. Caleb, if you don't mind, could you educate us just a little bit? I think Derby, we all generally understand. The Preakness differs how? Well, it is just two weeks away from the Derby, and uh, this this is way more common, let's say, you know, 100 or 50 years ago, that a horse would come back and run two weeks uh, later. But now, you know, we're in a more much more lightly raced landscape of thoroughbred racing, so coming back in two weeks is, like, almost unheard of. So, you know, they're holding on to the tradition of 
you know, 150 years ago when this whole Triple Crown essentially started. But, you know, asking a horse to come back in two weeks is not really uh, of the modern-day program. So that's why, for the first time in 75 years, Mage is the only horse coming out of the Kentucky Derby, but at least he's the winner. Wow, first time in 75 years, just one Derby horse? Right? Wow. (laughs) It's getting more and more like that. And and they actually, um, there was a defection today. Uh, first mission who really had a great chance uh, had to pull out um, due to his trainer just said uh, everything wasn't 100% so you know a field of seven and I think that I'm kind of getting to the point where I, I think that horse racing needs to take a long hard look at redesigning the dates uh, everybody's held on so strongly to the you know two weeks after the derby you run the Preakness and then three weeks after the Preakness you run the Belmont and I know it's been like that forever but I don't know. I mean, if they could space these things out four or five weeks to the Preakness and then four or five weeks to the Belmont, you could try to set it up where every good three-year-old runs in all three, and that's not really what we've seen, especially the last two years. Rich Strike didn't even run in last year's Preakness, the Derby winner. That that was also unheard of. So I want to ask this about the Preakness itself. I mean, I know just under basically one and a quarter mile is the distance. The track is de- – you know, we, we here in Indy know so much about the Derby, and I think most people, that's the one they follow the most, Kentucky Derby. So this track is different than Churchill and what we see at the Derby in what way, and it favors what style of horse, if you will. I think that Pimlico is a track that favors the inside and it favors the speed, and I think that Churchill is a track that favors sometimes the outside and favors the closer. So they're, they're about as – Two different of a racetrack as you can get. No, no real racetrack favors closers. Let's be honest. But Churchill, of all, is probably the track that lends itself most to finishers out there in the middle part of the track. Whereas Baltimore and Pimlico is really famous for having a great inside, a great rail. And you know, if you look at the last twenty years, the Derby winners that won from well off the pace. Mind That Bird won from well off the pace. Orb came closing. Animal Kingdom came closing. Monarchos came closing. None of those horses came back to win the Preakness. So the horses that won the Derby and the Preakness are the ones that won the Derby close to the front end. Big Brown was close to the lead in the Derby. American Pharaoh was close to the lead. California Chrome. Smarty Jones. So you really have to win the Derby close to the pace to put yourself in a position to come back and win the Preakness. Okay, it's Caleb Keller with us, uh, at CalebFDV on Twitter. Caleb, I asked you this a couple weeks ago with the Derby, so I'll do the same today. Um, I've got $10, and I've got $100. How are you betting the 10 How are you bet- betting the 100 Well, when I look at the 10 I'm going to put the 10 on the number one national treasure. Uh, I think that Mage, to me, I, I would love as a fan to see him win the second jewel. And I do think that the Derby winner came out of the race with a lot of energy. Sometimes your Derby winners, like, just, they wake up on Monday afternoon. Like, honestly, some of these Derby winners over the last 20 years have expended so much on that Saturday afternoon race that, you know, they'll just sleep in on Sunday, get up on Monday, and every horse is going to have a rest day after a race. But Mage, you know, popped out of the race uh, on Sunday very well. So he does have high energy. I just think that in this race, the one national treasure is a horse that is going to get a perfect setup because when you look at his siblings and his grandparents, they love having the lead. And in my mind, front runners that kind of runs in the family. So this is a perfect race for the one to get the lead 
with the blinkers on. There's that guy with the white hair and the glasses, Bob Baffert, who's going to make his reemergence into the race. Oh, Baffert's and back. Mage, you know, I think that Mage does have the talent to come. At, I think it's a two-horse race, just National Treasure and Mage. And the thing with Mage is that he has speed to be close, but he actually has been break, breaking poorly. But he has so much talent that with him breaking poorly, he's been able to make a big rally in the Florida Derby, finish second to Forte. And then he, he actually broke the worst out of any 18 horse in the, uh, the Kentucky Derby and still won. So he's kind of learning on the fly, Mace, to come from off the pace. I just think that this is a race where even if he does break better, National Treasure has so much speed. And there's only one other speed horse, and that's the long shot to four coffee with Chris. And I think, if anything, he just keeps National Treasure focused. So back to the profile of the track, inside speed, getting the rail. I'm going to put the $10 on National Treasure to win, and then the $100, I'll just go for the box. I'm going to take Mage and National Treasure, $50, exact to box those two. I think they're a way class above the rest, especially when you take out first mission. But I'm going to give the slight lean to National Treasure to win the second jewel. Interesting. Caleb, this might be a dumb question, but like, why weren't these horses in the Preakness in the Derby? Well, first mission who had to scratch, he's kind of a late starter. And then, um, you know, he just got started back in February, and he actually didn't have enough points. So he was just too late to the game. And then for National Treasure, um, the whole thing with Bob Baffert having to give his horses to another trainer and then uh, then come back to him. And National Treasure, I think, could have potentially made the derby, but Bob Baffert all along, I think, wanted to keep these horses in his barn. Uh, which wasn't necessarily the case. This horse had one start into another barn. But I think that Baffert knew that he couldn't run in the Derby, and he also can't run in the Belmont. But this was the race that he could still run in. So, you know, I think he knew that this was going to be his best chance. He put the blinkers on. Uh, Bob Baffert's favorite place to have a horse is on the lead, and this is a horse that not only could get the lead, but then also drew perfectly with the one post to get the lead. So that's the most dangerous place to put a Bob Baffert horse is on the lead. They're very hard to pass. So my last question would be for the Belmont, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but if the numbers are down in terms of who's going to run in the Preakness, what does that mean in terms of, you know, are we going to see like a 73 Belmont that has like six horses in it? I think the Belmont will have some more. I think that, you know, you've got, when you only have one horse coming out of the Derby, then you've got a lot that are going to be parked for the Belmont. You know, Angel of Empire, who ran a good third, is going to be in the Belmont. Tappet Trice, he ran seventh in the Derby, but he could run all day. And uh, he's by Tappet, who's won uh, like five or six Belmonts. And he's for Ty Pletcher, who's won like five or six Belmonts. So the Belmont will fill up. And I will tell you this, guys. So the Belmont is actually going to be on, you ready for this, Big Fox. I mean, the first uh-huh. time in like 20 years that NBC is not covering a Triple Crown race. So, you know, uh, Fox and the New York Racing Association have a pretty close partnership. So they ponied up the big money. And now Fox is going to have the final jewel of the Triple Crown. And that also means that the legendary Hall of Fame voice Tom Durkin is going to come back. They just announced yesterday out of retirement to call the Belmont. And Tom Durkin is the best race caller ever in my mind by like five and a half lengths. I mean, this guy is the GOAT of race calling. And how about this? He called for like 30-something years and had a lot of close calls in the Triple Crown. And the year he retired, that next season, American Pharaoh won the long-stop Triple Crown. So 
for for Tom Durkin and for the game and for everything, I would as a fan love to see Mage win this second jewel and have a triple crown of the line with Tom Durkin back on the microphone at the Belmont. Caleb, one of the things I know in conclusion in working in auto racing and occasionally, especially this time of year before the Indy 500, being asked to go on in different markets to kind of preview the 500 is I'm aware of the fact that I have to speak to it in a term that not everybody is a diehard auto racing fan and understand what goes on. And I think it's a challenge. I'm not saying I do it well. I think you do a tremendous job in describing horse racing that's a benefit to our listeners and being able to do it in a way that I'm sure probably is simplistic in your mind to the average person, but it translates really well. And I think it's very much appreciated your ability to communicate what it is that we're going to see this weekend and what we saw at the Derby. So I very much appreciate that. No, thanks a lot. And that's something on FanDuel is like, obviously you've got the everyday customer that you don't want to, you don't want to talk uh, down to their knowledge, but also you've got people that are tuning in that you need to somewhat explain things to. And one last thing here, guys, before we go, I just I'm at the point now where I'm so glad that Mage is running. But the last two years, like this is this is kind of the position that horse racing needs to take the long hard look at maybe changing things. And I've never really been on that side of it. But let's not forget that college football used to have the riders vote for the national championship. And then they went to the BCS and it got better. And they went to the playoff and it got even better. And now the expanded playoff might be even better. And then didn't college basketball have like a tournament of like just 32 back in like the sixties yeah. and fifties. Like you just as you go along. Like, right. Exactly. So like now this year with only seven horses and last year, not having the Kentucky Derby winner, like I think we're at a point now where we have a long, hard conversation about spacing these things out where every race the whole collection of all the best three-year-olds gets to come, and that not, hasn't really been the case over the last few years. Caleb, outstanding. Jake was spot on with your knowledge that you've brought here each of the last couple of Fridays with us before the Derby and then today before the Preakness. So we appreciate that. And again, it's at CalebFDTV on Twitter for everybody out there. Caleb, enjoy the Preakness, man. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Are we taking bets on Lynn Dunn? No, oh, I think it's a lock. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Yes. One thousand percent. Both of you say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. She might be having one right now. She's painting the town red. That's for, true. For the opener tonight. That's true. Connecticut in town, right? Uh, it's a season opener for the Indiana Fever. One of our favorites is about ready to join us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. She is Lynn Dunn. Jake, you want to see if she has had a little king? Okay. The topic of the day before we get to the Indiana Fever, Lynn Dunn, is this. In your time as an adult on earth, have you ever either heard of and or consumed a Little King's beer? Never. Have you heard of Little King's? Wow. Never. Wow. That's an upset. That's a Fairleigh Dickinson over Purdue. Well, but now let's remember, I don't drink beer. Okay. Well, if I knew that, then I would have certainly changed my mind on that. (laughs) Yeah, if you'd gone down the bourbon path, I might have been able to help. <laughs> Do they make a well, bourbon? We some would say they're out. struggling so much in the, beer, in the beer department, they probably shouldn't dabble in the bourbon department. Jefferson's <laughs> Reserve, you have or have not heard of that bourbon? Yes, I'm with all. You named it, I've heard of the bourbon. Yes. <laughs> hey, um, let's that. begin with this. Done that. Yes. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Um, perhaps you can enjoy a bourbon tonight after a win if the Fever were to get off to a 1-0 start against Connecticut. Game 7 o'clock tonight to start off the season. And we've asked you this before, but let's revisit this, and that is the thing that most intrigues you about this roster or that you are most excited about with this team would be what? 
the youth, uh, the talented youth, you know, we're a young team. There's no getting around it. We're, we're, we're a baby team. We may have to change their diapers at halftime. I mean, they're young. <laughs> they're energetic. They're full of energy. And then we've got a young staff. You know, we've got a, a first-ever head head coach. So a lot of youth out there, but there's a lot of growth that can happen in, you know, in 20 minutes. So I'm excited about a young, exciting growing team one of our favorites Lynn Dunn she's with us here on the Payless Slickers hotline Lynn when you look at you know what transpired over the past few weeks like you guys cut what seemed like some notable players um you know I, I again I, I look at this and I'm like wow you you took that girl in the second round and you guys cut her already is that a sign of you know you have a lot of young talent like how did you view the the roster cut dilemma that your staff faced over the last couple of weeks well, we're in a building, rebuilding, reloading mode, so we have a lot of extra da- draft picks. We've made some trades. We've picked up some draft picks. So somebody I'm cutting may have been the third or fourth person I picked because we were we picked first, seventh, 13th, 17th, 25th. So we had a lot of picks, and we knew it was going to be really, really hard for somebody to make the team. So as you're rebuilding, as you're growing, um, that tends to happen. Is it a challenge, Lynn? Lynn Dunn is our guest, the general manager of the Indiana Fever. And, of course, your career is so expansive from a coaching standpoint. When you move into a front office position, I've always been curious of this. Is it is it a challenge to build a roster when you're not actually coaching said roster because you have a design in your mind of exactly how you would coach it, but then you have to remind yourself that different people have different styles and players would have different ways in which they respond. Has it been an adjustment for you? It definitely has, and I think it was important when I hired our new coach that she and I were on the same page. We had the same vision of the identity that we wanted for this team. We were going to play up-tempo. We were going to play fast. We were going to defend. We were going to be high energy. We were going to be all in to team basketball. And so I think in a lot of ways our visions had to match as I put the players in the pieces that fit. Bourbon aficionado Lynn Dunn with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Aaliyah Boston, when we had you on the night of, or I guess the day of the WNBA draft, you know, you already talked a whole lot about Aaliyah and potentially taking her number one overall. Now that she's been in your building, you've seen her operate. Uh, what are your first impressions of her? Even better than I expected. Uh, not only a great player, great person tremendous poise for such a young person but but the I think the experiences that she had under Dawn Staley at South Carolina winning championships uh, it's all she's a whole package but I knew she was skilled but I didn't know that she was as skilled with as much poise at this young time in her life if you don't mind I'll throw the same question to you with Grace Berger I know someone that obviously you were really high on entering the draft I love Grace Berger, and what I love about her is her versatility. And it's one of the reasons why some of the players we ended up cutting, uh, when you find a player like Grace that can play three positions, you know, the one, the two, and the three, and she's a big guard. And I think in this league with our limited roster spots, if you can only play one uh, one position, it really hurts you. And I think that's the strength of Grace and her versatility. You know, it's funny, Coach. You guys start out tonight with Connecticut, 
and then you go on the road. If I'm not mistaken, I think three in a row on the road. You're on the road for a week. I have always felt like, even though it is daunting in terms of the atmosphere in playing the games on the road, and in particular for a young team, that there can be a silver lining in a road trip early because you have no choice but to get to know your teammates. And for a young team, that can be pretty critical. Am I overthinking that? You need to be a general manager because Whoa. you're right on target there. <laughs> the The road trips are not as negative as people think. First of all, you're just with your group. You're just staying together. A lot of the family, friends, peers that hang around a home game are not with you. So in a lot of ways, a, a, a road game um, can be a plus. Now, with that, how far into a season with a young team, and as you'd said, I mean, you're talking the youngest of young, realistically speaking, you would like to really have in a perfect world a feel for who you are and what you have by what number game of the season? I would really like to know a lot about this team after the third game. Okay. We'll play at home. And then we'll play at New York on Sunday. And then we'll come home and have all week to prepare. And then we'll play at Atlanta. So after these first three games, I'd like to know a lot more about this team. Lynn, how would you classify expectations for this season? I think they're significantly higher than they were last year. You know, we're a year older. We're a year wiser. A couple of the draft picks that we had last year, Lexi Hull, Queen Egbo, uh, Nalissa Smith are a year older, a year wiser, a year better. And now we've added this group and we've added a new staff. So I think realistically we want to compete for maybe that last playoff spot. I I don't think that's over – thinking this situation we want to compete in every game but we want to be in the hunt for that last playoff spot have you ever done that bourbon trail deal where like you can go and tour the different distilleries because i think it'd be fascinating to learn the history of like the distilleries in kentucky absolutely i was i lived in lexington kentucky for three years i've been down that trail you know and, and a lot of people don't realize that that not only can you have the bourbon tasting but you the, they've made chocolate candy full of bourbon and so oh, you can geez. get the chocolate and the bourbon Hell yeah. it's amazing if now, i go on that tour i need lynn dunn on the tour now, so now here's what i know and you tell me if i'm if i'm right here uh, i, I want to make sure i get this right all bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbons, correct? I think that's correct. Yeah, okay. Okay. And, and again, it's tonight, a charred after, barrel, after a season opening W, it will be the chocolate bourbon or it will be a glass of bourbon? It'll be both. <laughs> Look at that. The more the merrier. Tonight, it's the Connecticut Sun. Some tickets still available. Fever.com. Lynn Dunn, you are one of a kind. Thank you as always. Hey, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.